to the NFL. What is going on, everybody? It is so wonderful to be back in your ears today. If you have no idea who the fuck I am, my name is Bruce Sanders. I am the host on the Rookie on the Rise. You can find me on Twitter at the FF Salmon. And today, thanks to my good buddy, Coach Craig, which is Coach Craig Sport on Twitter, he hooked me up with Dallas, which you can find on the Dynasty Warzone at Twitter at Salad Galore, G-A-A-G-A-L-O-R-E. And ladies and gentlemen, if you aren't following him, you need to be. In the short amount of time that I have had the pleasure of talking with Dallas, he has been continually showing me that he has got the goods. So, Dallas, how the hell are you doing today? What's going on? And hi. <laughs> hey, Britt. Pleasure to be on. Um, any of the listeners on the Warzone channel, you know who I am. Anyone on Britt's lovely channel over here, hello, my name's Dallas. Um, yes, it is my legal name. No, my parents did not conceive me in the state of Texas. But I'm here to talk rookies with you, Britt. Um, wonderful Sunday. We both have the same weekend schedule. We were chatting a little bit pre-post here. Um, so I think we're just about to enjoy this lovely Sunday morning talking about this rookie class and uh, a fun little segment we got cooked up. Yeah, Dallas came to me with a really good idea, which I'm super happy about because it means that I didn't need to think of a good idea. And I just love when people have great ideas because it helps me a little bit here. And so before we get into the goods and get into the content, I always like to start it off with a question of the show, right? So Dallas, if you had to choose a piece of furniture that best identified you as a person, what would it be and why? Piece of furniture. A hundred percent, it would have to be, okay, this isn't really, are we going furniture like things you have to sit on or just household household items? We are, right? we are very open here. We're just looking a little in-depth <laughs> looking at who you are as a person. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with a knife block. All right. So the whole little knife kitchen set. Um, really big into cooking. Been cooking for a really long time. Um, little culinary guy on the side, like to cook for house parties, stuff like that. For my family holidays, I'm always the guy that whips up the chef. The knife also sharp cuts good takes that's what i'm here for in the fantasy space i'm sharp i'm on it i think i'm a knife block i don't know that's just me i i am 800 sure that i love that just in general that you view yourself as a knife block and the fact that you are a culinary person i feel like we were just meant to meet like football rookies cooking what plus we have like saturdays are our last day which by the way people if you can get a tuesday to saturday schedule you have locked in two of the three football days of the football season. It is the biggest life hack I've ever met in my entire life. I don't have to worry about Sunday night because I can stay up as long as I need. And then Monday, I can lolly dag, I don't know what the fuck that word is. I can hang around for the full day and then go and hang out and watch Monday night football and then wake up the next day and go to work. I'm working 410, so I get another day off. But the point remains the same. To Saturday or Sunday, Monday, the day's off. But as much as I'd love to give life advice, let's dig into the football stuff, shall we? So we are going to go down some big or some stats, some qualifying things that are that the 2020 rookies. Oh, goodness. Words today. Jesus criminy. 
We are going to go down some markers and statistical point and statistics. Dallas, do you want to take this? This is <laughs> it's wow. Sunday. Hey, tag me in. My Let's God. go. So, whole premise of today's show, guys, we are going through the 2021 most likely twos. So, that broad, vague little category, um, we are going to be playing the age old guessing game of predicting at the end of the 2021 season where these rookies are going to place in statistical categories such as quarterback passing yards, passing touchdowns, the receiving metrics, the fun little vague categories like offensive rookie of the year, sleepers, breakouts, disappointments, overhyped players. So that's what we're here to lay out for you guys. We're going to be going over the stats from last year, the players that filled said categories from the 2020 season, the pandemic year, a little bit of asterisks next to all these guys, but then we're going to be translating that into the 2021 season going forward. That was so well done. And I'm not even going to cut this out because I am fallible. And even though I woke up 30 minutes ago, doesn't change the fact that Dallas is doing an incredible job. So Dallas, let's start with our first, our first likely to lead from last year was passing yards. And from yeah. my understanding, that was Justin Herbert, correct? Yeah, so pretty much every offensive rookie category from a quarterback position was led by our man Justin Herbert in L.A. Um, he led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns from the rookie position. And I personally see the 2021 season for those two categories going in a very similar vein for one player filling the role for both of them. For me, that guy's Trevor Lawrence, and it's predicated – entirely on opportunity and guaranteed starts through the season. Um, I think that there is a huge amount of volume that's going to be coming out of there. I have no idea what to think of that Jacksonville offense under Urban Meyer. I am an Ohio State fan for all of my normal listeners that know that. Uh, Any of the new people listening to my sultry voice now can hate me a little bit more or like me if you're from the Ohio Valley area. But I see Trevor Lawrence filling exactly what Urban Wire wants to do from his quarterback position. It's predicated on a read option, and Trevor Lawrence is not being talked about at all when it comes to his rushing ability. Justin Fields, obviously otherworldly from the rushing quarterback position, but Trevor Lawrence, just because he's white, we hate to see it, gets that sneaky athletic characteristic done. Anyone who saw the 2019 national championship game, sorry, not national championship game, the playoff game against Ohio State, understands that his 63-yard rushing touchdown, the dude gallops, and he will break other defenses with that speed if you do not give him the due respect that he deserves. So my guy leading both categories for passing yards and passing touchdowns is Trevor Lawrence. What about you, Brooke? Yeah, this is tough because the the, the answer here is Trevor Lawrence, right? Like, even though I hate suburban urban, I think he has no business being an NFL head coach. I, he still is going to be coaching a team in which Trevor Lawrence is going to have all 17 weeks to start, right? So it's Zach Wilson and it's Trevor Lawrence. Those are the ones that guaranteed to be giving you that production for a full year. And then if you go Justin Fields or Trey Lance, you have to expect them to produce enough that they can surpass Lawrence and get and get to start sooner than like the six week mark because you can't make a six week difference unless the Jaguar offense is just an absolute dumpster fire, which I'm not willing to necessarily bet on. So I'm agreeing with you that Trevor Lawrence, but if I had to choose a dark horse here, I'd say Justin Fields. Um, 
just because I love trade. Well, no, actually, I'm not. I'm not going to do Justin Fields because I don't trust Matt Nagy because I think he's going to find a way to screw himself out of a job with Justin Fields and keep Andy Dalton until like week 11. I I, I think that's what's going to happen, and it makes me just heartbroken for Justin Fields because that man is such an incredible talent. So I think the dark horse here is Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance has enough weapons around him. And even though he's a rushing quarterback, I think that he is going to have a very wide open pathway to seeing playing time. I did a, I was in an argument on Twitter, which is where most of my fun articles come from. And I looked back until the 2000s of every quarterback that was drafted in the first five picks of the NFL draft and how many games on average it took them to start. There is only one quarterback that was drafted that did not start the first season within like 12 games. And that was Phil Rivers, who was behind Hall of Famer Drew Brees. And Phil Phil Rivers, it took like 26 games to start. He was sat for two full seasons, right? So the average, even with Phil Rivers, is 3.4 games. So it's relatively safe to expect that Trey Lance is going to be starting by week four or week five. And by then, I view that as enough time to where – Trey Lance with the superior offense and with the team that is just going to be scoring at a much higher rate than the Jaguars to potentially surpass Trevor Lawrence. So I think that it's going to be Trevor Lawrence 1A, Trey Lance 1B, probably going to be a nod to Trevor Lawrence simply because he has a full 17 games, assuming full health. And also passing touchdown-wise, like Trevor Lawrence, I think, is a lock no matter what. I think passing yards is the only thing that Trey Lance may actually be able to skirt him on. Let's jump into let's let's keep the trend going and let's go ahead and jump into offensive rookie of the year because I feel like that goes hand in hand with offensive production and quarterback stats, right? As you mentioned, Justin Herbert also got that offensive rookie of the year. I don't know about you, but this year I feel like it could be a little different, right? I yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, same deep dive type of vein that you just did for the quarterback position I did when I was looking at the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, there's only been one non-quarterback or running back to win Offensive Rookie of the Year in the last 15 years, and it was Odell Beckham Jr. And that was the otherworldly rookie break onto the season in a very similar vein as to what we saw with Justin Jefferson last year. It's just the difference with Odell Beckham Jr.'s rookie year is that there was no quarterbacks of note in that draft class to steal the award from him. Um, This one, I do agree with you. I think it's going to be a little bit different this year. I don't project a quarterback. I have Najee Harris winning offensive rookie of the year. And again, um, as most of my followers understand, that is always going to be predicated off of volume for me. It's the number one um, predictor, basically, for NFL success. And Najee is walking into a room with absolutely no competition. Um, Benny Snell proved that he couldn't take workload when they gave it to him. Uh, Somehow, Anthony McFarlane just could not get on the field. And it was very infuriating to a lot of dynasty owners out there last year. In a season that saw an injury-plagued backfield, Najee Harris is walking in immediately at 250-plus carries next year. Um, people want to go above 300. I don't know if that's realistic, but he is going to be involved in the passing game as well. Um, when it comes to red zone rushing attempts, the Steelers have always been in the top 10 pretty much for the last five years, and I do not see that changing this year, even with a large amount of we- uh, receiving weapons 
on the team still. So for me, offensive rookie of the year is Najee Harris. I think it continues that running back quarterback flip-flop that you've seen over the last decade or so. And I honestly think it's just the safest bet specifically if you're going to be throwing some money down on it. Yeah, I think I've been coming not full circle on Najee because I had him at running back one. And then when he went to Pittsburgh, I knocked him down to two. I, I can't disagree with the, with the volume argument because it's true, right? Even if he's not going to be uber efficient, if you're getting upwards of 18 to 22 carries a game, you can be a 3.4 yards per carry type of running back and still be fantasy successful, right? And the fun thing about this is it doesn't have a lot of correlation to fantasy, right? Like obviously, the player that wins Offensive Rookie of the Year has a good fantasy year, but like my fantasy feelings don't necessarily direct the Offensive Rookie of the Year direction. That being said, I don't believe it's going to be a running back this year. I think, and I really hate this, but I honest to God think it's Kyle Pitts. And this is why. I don't, I try my best not to bet against history, right? I'm first, I'm a, I'm a nerd, I, a wannabe nerd, right? So like when I see historical precedent and predictors and measures and thresholds, I enjoy them and I understand the context behind them. But I feel like the NFL wants Kyle Pitts to be great. And I feel like he's going to do well enough that they're just going to give him. Like all he needs is a mediocre pulse, right? He just needs a little bit of a tremor on the uh, AED and he's going to win it just because like they want that next big greatest thing. Uh, When you talk about pre-draft, all these execs were talking about how he is a hall of fame potential type of player. And a lot of the offensive rookie voting, I believe lies in the hands of the coaching staff and the league itself. So even if Mark or even if Kyle Pitts has a mediocre line of 75 or 60 receptions, 650 yards and six or seven touchdowns, I think that's enough for not only the fantasy community to absolutely blow their lid, even though that's a mediocre rookie year, but also for the NFL to be like, you know what, Kyle Pitts, you're offensive rookie of the year. You're the first one in X amount of years. We're going to keep your legacy rolling strong. And luckily for him, he's got who or he's got a Ridley and that's it. That's, that's really all they're dealing with there. And yeah, this is Matt Ryan's. If you believe in like the historical year yearly trends, this is Matt Ryan's historical down year, which also coincides with like his new coordinators and such. But I, I, I do think that Kyle Pitts is going to be it. And this is a little bit spicy, um, but I just feel like that's, it, it just makes too much sense for that to happen. And it seems like that's the perfect culmination of the 2021, 2020 or 2020, 2021 season to come to a capstone of Kyle Pitts winning offensive rookie of the year. Let's jump into running back. So, because I feel like that's a really fun area to dive into just because there's, we got three pretty good ones this year. We were a little worried about it coming into the year and they've slowly started to gain some steam and they had some landing spots that made it a little interesting to parse out information and kind of make it run. So who do you feel like is going to be leading running back touches, running back rushing yards and running back touchdowns? Now I think we can agree on touches here. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's a question. Uh, most of these answers are going to lean directly into my offensive rookie of the year pick, as you guys can probably guess. Uh, I actually went Najee with all three. Um, looking at last year, 
it was actually not a clean sweep. A lot of people would assume that it was um, all Jonathan Taylor. Um, he did lead the league from the rookie position in rushing yards and RB touchdowns, but the RB touches actually went to James Robinson, and that was predicated a lot on his passing production. Um, for me, I do have Najee Harris in all three of these categories, and that's not shocking based off of my rookie of the year pick, like I said, but um, the only category that is a little bit touch and go typically as it goes every year is the touchdowns. Um, That is the one that is the hardest to predict and honestly doesn't always lean towards the highest volume player. As we saw last year with a guy we'll talk about in the wide receiver position with a guy like uh, Claypool out of Pittsburgh. Um, It's just based off of team situation. The only person I see in the RBTD category that could potentially touch him is going to be Etienne in Jacksonville. And that is specifically due to the reason of he's going to be used and he's probably going to be used a lot because he was that first round running back, but he's not going to get consistent workload with James Robinson still in the backfield. He will be involved in the pass game, but that's just an amalgam of guys down in Jacksonville right now. So it's really hard for anyone to firmly predict production or even chart out stat predictions for the 2021 season on a team like Jacksonville in a system we haven't seen in the NFL. Um, But for me, I'm going Najee money where my mouth is. That's where I'm laying down for the running back position. What about you, Britt? Yeah, I, I think, First of all, I couldn't agree more on Jacksonville. And that's probably a little bit where my frustration lies is like, I don't even know if Urban Meyer's suburban urban system works in the NFL, right? Like it could be a Chip Kelly system. I think it will. Cause I think, I think he is at least capable enough to like run an offense successfully, but I don't know like the amount in which it will be the multitude of which it's going to be successful. Uh, I, 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 agree with touches and I agree with yards with Najee Harris. And I think it's, it would take a Melvin Gordon week one injury to there to be any sort of competition to touches and yards, just because there's no running back right now. That's going to be get week one starting touchdowns or starting touches. Excuse me. ETN isn't going to get the lion's share of the running back uh, rushes this year. And that's okay because he doesn't necessarily need them. He'll still get 190 touches, but he's only going to get probably 90 of those, maybe like 100 of those being running back touches, 110. And Javonta Williams, you know, as much as everyone wants to go and salivate over that one Denver beat writer that is just doing such a phenomenal job of of churning his own content and creating news when there's no news, uh, he's not going to get the lion's share of touches probably until midway season. It's not going to be anything different. And so... I, the only one I have one dark horse for the touchdowns, uh, and it it belongs with the Chargers, right? And we saw Joshua Kelly show flashes of capability. We saw him show that he was capable of replacing that Melvin Gordon role, but for whatever reason, he just was a, unable to consistently produce. Justin Jackson is washed. He's 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 dusty which leads Larry Roundtree. And Larry Roundtree is a less athletic version of Joshua Kelly. He's also a more efficient red zone version of Joshua Kelly. So if there's any vulture, which makes sense because the Chargers seem to be the team that always has a touchdown vulture, in the NFL as a rookie, I think it's going to be Larry Roundtree the third, And he's the only person I would put some money on, assuming no injuries, that would 
be able to push Najee and ETN in the touchdown department for running backs. Just strictly because for whatever reason, and it, this could change because Lynn's not there anymore, but Austin Eckler doesn't see uh, the lion's share of the red zone goal line work. Which running back do you think is going to lead in receptions, though? Just just a quick little quick little pivot, Dallas. Which running back do you think will lead in receptions? Yeah, for receptions for me, I actually think it's Michael Carter. Um, I don't know how much you uh, know about me specifically in my takes, but all of the people in the lovely Dynasty Warzone community understand my love for Michael Carter. Um, I all offseason have been fighting the concept that Michael Carter may be a better running back than Javante Williams. And uh, it's uh, <laughs> anyone not watching can uh, tell that uh, Britt does not agree with me. <laughs> but uh, for me, Michael Carter, when it comes to the receiving game, extremely consistent, extremely smooth, and extremely elusive in the open field. When it comes to a backfield that doesn't have anyone that is known for being a pass catcher, but is going to have a lot of volume to the running back position in the Jets offense. I think that Michael Carter is the prime candidate to see the most targets and potentially the most receiving touches out of any of the running backs in this year's class. That's fair. That's very, very fair, mainly because who else is going to do it, right? Yeah, Uh, none of the backs that they have are receiving backs. That's my biggest thing. Tevin Coleman would be the closest thing to a slash role that you'd be looking for in that system. I think T.Y. John or Ty Johnson is going to be the only one that has a threat just because of his pure explosion. He's the only unique back out of all of them, excluding Carter, that is just a strictly explosive running back. Um, A quick tangent. I think ETN. There's such targets this year, just an absurd amount. Mm -hmm. That being said, uh, for Michael Carter, my I have many concerns. Uh, draft capital is the easy one, right? We just don't see a, long, a large history of running backs in fantasy. This spectrum that is day three draft capital that is consistently being productive. But my thing is, like, he isn't that good at pass blocking. And while Zach Wilson is mobile, but we saw last year, we saw DeAndre Swift and we saw J.K. Dobbins. We saw, I believe, even Jonathan Taylor all struggle with pass blocking and that's what kept them off the field early. And so it's going to be tough for him to reach that reception total when he's not their third down back. Right. That's the, that's one of my big things that are holding me back is, excuse me, is he going to be able to even be on the field for third downs because he's a liability in the pass protection game. Uh, And also like, I don't know, but if you can't hold off Javonta Williams, as a four-year senior, I, I I don't know. Like that kind of works both ways. Like Javonta couldn't win out the job, and Michael Carter couldn't hold him off. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's a very analogous kind of situation. I, I like Carter, you know. I just don't think that he's super trustworthy long term. It's funny we didn't talk about Sermon here, mm-hmm. um, just because I. I mean, there. I guess there is a possibility that he could lead the league in yards as a rookie, right? Just because the Shanahan system is basically picking two players from a hat and slapping them with like 700 to 800 running back yards. They don't really care who it is. They're just like, yeah, yeah today it's you two this year. Congrats, you know? Um, so I, I feel like that's a needed little heads up. Trey Sermon is likely to 
potentially do something I don't necessarily. Hey, it's possible. It's possible. Uh, let's talk about wide receivers. And let's do like a stat-by-stat. Uh, who, Which wide receiver do you think is going to lead the league in receptions, Alice? Yeah, for me, it's Devonta Smith. Um, I just think it's the easiest one to bet your money on. Um, a lot of people will probably lean towards the pass-heavy volume that you're going to see in Cincinnati, but I really think it is extremely being undersold how used T Higgins is going to be in this offense. He showed last year that he has the alpha profile. He can outbody you. He's hit the thing that was the most underrated about T Higgins, who for me, this again, got me like blasted when I was doing the rookie comparisons and analysis for last year's draft. T Higgins was my wide receiver two behind Jamar Jefferson. I had a ranking the top three of um, Justin Jefferson, T Higgins and CD lamb as my top three last year. It ended up working out very well. His route running is elite. He is extremely smooth, and although he does not have that quick twitch speed that you see from a guy like Jamar Chase, he separates more than a guy like Jamar Chase does. The the biggest thing with Jamar Chase's game is that he doesn't separate very well. He is a body catcher at the point, going to win the 50-50 balls in a very similar vein as to what we see with guys like DeAndre Hopkins, how they dominate, which don't get me wrong, he's got the alpha profile too. But from a pure consistency target standpoint, I think Devonta Smith has the highest target volume. Um, I think Jalen Hurts' passing stats, although not amazing, uh, do get shit on a little bit more than they probably should. Uh, He's honestly more consistent of a passer than a guy like Lamar Jackson is. So if you have any hype for any of the wide receivers in the Baltimore scheme like we've had of the last couple of years hoping for him to improve. I think you have to have it in an offense like Philadelphia who's still looking for that true wide receiving threat outside of their tight ends. It's also like three games with Jalen Hurts. I just I want to say this because yeah. it happens so much. People are like, well, Jalen Hurts got a 52% reception total. I was like, can we just accept the fact that that's, first of all, four-game sample? Uh, yeah. Secondly, that team was just absolutely in shambles, and I don't know about the locker room mentality. I know someone that knew a player in there, and he said that locker room mentality is absolute ass. So, you know, like it's hard to be successful when you got a locker room that's not really in it. And also, they basically just fed him to the Wolves his fourth game. Like, you can't even use that fourth game because everybody and anybody was out. Like, they did the most gorgeous job of tanking I've seen, and it was incredible. It was like, it, it was masterfully done. The only thing they should have done is just benched Hurts because he got X, Y, and Z, put him on the COVID list or some shit like that, right? Uh-huh. Um, that being said, I love you had Justin Jefferson as one. I had him three. Uh, I had Jalen Rager one, which hurts, and that may be my biggest miss, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm still holding out hope. I love you, Jalen. Do better things. Dear God, please. Um <laughs> I I feel like the only wide receiver, and it's too bad because I really wanted Elijah Moore for this. I was like so pumped, and then they restructured Jamison Crowder. I was like, mother, oh, damn it! I mean, like from an ADT standpoint, we needed that because you're about to have to draft Elijah Moore in like the fourth round because he was skyrocketing up boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Devonta Smith is the obvious one. Um, Jam- Jamar Chase is another one, just because if you look at it, they. We're averaging something silly like 37 pass attempts a game with Joe Burrow is healthy, and that defense didn't get any better. So you're looking at probably 
close to 600 pass attempts for Joe, Joe Burrow in a fully healthy season. And I, like it doesn't, like, even if T Higgins is the alpha with like 23% opportunity share, it's pretty easy to pencil in Jamar Chase with 20 to 21. And so you're standing him out for like a thousand yards already. Uh, I think it comes down to which team is going to be worse, which is going to be the Eagles. They are going to be a bottom 10 team again this year, which is sad because that means Jalen Hurts probably won't be successful uh, long-term, especially since the Eagles have three first-round picks next year. Uh, The only other one I want to bring up is Rashad Bateman. And it's funny you brought up Lamar Jackson, right? Because I think if we're going to see a – accuracy level rise which i think lamar jackson has he's okay right he's not great he's fine um but he needs a wide receiver that can help erase some of his mistakes and hollywood brown was never that wide receiver neither is miles boykin neither is willie sneed neither is a long long list and mark andrews is fine except mark andrews couldn't squeeze a fucking football last year uh and rashad bateman if you had to choose the most pro ready wide receiver out of this class which does take away a little bit of his ceiling it's rashad bateman and so if there is a running a wide receiver that is able to push Devonta Smith from total receptions, I think 1,000% it's going to be Rashad Bateman simply because he is able to win all levels of the field. And I haven't seen Matt Harmon's reception perception on him, but I'd be willing to bet it's a mostly green uh, route tree just because that man is absolutely absurd with how he's able to run his routes. Yeah, um, I completely agree with that one. Um, the entire offseason, Bateman has been has not moved from my wide receiver two. He's directly behind Jamar Chase at my wide receiver two, and I see that leading to production specifically down the road. Um, it's actually a good segue from that category for me because he's actually my pick for wide receiver touchdown leader this year. I think that Bateman is going to be used quite a bit in the red zone. He separates a lot better than people want to give him credit for, even in the COVID year last year where he literally had COVID and no one continues to talk about it. Uh, For Rashad Bateman, you're looking for that target efficiency. Uh, There's one thing that Lamar Jackson has done well as a passer in his career in the NFL. It has been his efficiency in the red zone specifically when they are not running, he is getting passing touchdowns. Um, I still remember that one game he had during his MVP season where he literally was like 11 for 11, 230 yards with five touchdowns. It was just efficiency and that's what he does from the passing game he's not going to give you those wild volumes but he's going to hit the open guy and the guy who i think is going to be the most open on a regular basis out of this class is most likely going to be rashad bateman so i think that touchdown upside is there outside of the true pass catching options like you touched on they did bring in sammy watkins who i think is actually a really good late round flyer um don't get me wrong you see the kc hat i live in kc right now um i watched sammy watkins beat ohio state in the 2013 championship, not Clemson, Sammy Watkins beat Ohio State. Uh, and it's kind of hard to get that uh, sight out of my eyes. So I may be a long-term truther. I'm not expecting huge production, but I think he is going to be a consistent target hog in that offense that isn't getting talked about. But when it comes to touchdown production, it's hard for me to go anywhere other than Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, or my guy, Rashad Bateman. Yeah, I, I think... First of all, it's, I couldn't agree more separation-wise. It is like, – Rashad Bateman is Jerry Judy level, right, yep. in terms of the ability to separate. And I'm happy because that's not the only calling card, unlike Jerry Judy, that Rashad Bateman has. Uh, he's oh. got so much more beyond that. And it's too bad because 
I really want, I just wanted him to have an extra 10 pounds, you know, that, that weigh in sucked because I'm like, damn, man, like I, okay, we're, we're readjusting a little bit, not a lot, we're, we're doing a little dancing. I think I, I it, this is tough because I feel like it could be anybody, right? Because let's be honest, you're just looking for a wide receiver that needs nine touchdowns, eight touchdowns, yeah. right? Because I think that's probably going to be leading at least up, up there. And so for me, I, I'm going Terrace Marshall Jr. He's my wide receiver too. Uh, I really strongly believe in him. I think those injury concerns are very overblown. I, I hope they are at least, right? Uh, I think a lot of those injuries he had was before he was an adult. The 17, 18, you know, his body's still growing. His body's still kind of developing into where it is. Not something I'm overtly concerned about right now. Obviously, if it continues, then yeah, no, no kidding. But Terrace Marshall Jr. should have that role as a big slot player in Joe Brady's offense, which is where Terrace Marshall also ate in 2019. Uh, no, that's wrong. Justin Jefferson was in the slot. But Terrace Marshall has the ability to be that red zone threat, mostly because there's no one in Carolina other than CMC that's going to like dominate in the red zone. Like I love DJ Moore and I love Robbie Anderson, but I believe Terrace Marshall. Yeah. I I believe he's got like three inches on both of them and probably like close to like 12 pounds. So it just takes Sam Darnold to actually be possibly mediocre. Like that's all I need is, is Sam. I, I don't need you to do literally anything else. Just be mediocre. Yeah. All I'm asking and you. That's the true point that stopped me from picking as well. Um, I was trying to be kind of out of the box a little bit by going with Marshall before I decided on Rashad Bateman in this one. And that's what I just can't get behind. I can't get behind Sam Darnold being better than what we saw from Teddy Bridgewater last year. I just don't realistically see it. Um, it's, it's just so hard for me because Terrace Marshall – He's similar to Claypool. No one saw Claypool being as effective last year as he was. If people thought he was going to be that efficient, they would not be have been selecting him at the back end of the second and early third round average ADP that he had all last offseason. It's the same thing with a guy like Terrace Marshall. Also, he has the upside. Go ahead. No, you keep, what were you saying? <laughs> okay, yeah, no. Okay, uh, I, was, I was just saying was just... with a guy like Terrace Marshall. <laughs> we're lagging a little bit sorry guys <laughs> yeah so as i was saying terrace marshall in college specifically he was a touchdown producer in 2019 during jamar jefferson's explosion year with joe burrow he had 14 receiving touchdowns that got overshadowed by jefferson's 20 plus receiving touchdowns but it's what he did last year he had seven receiving touchdowns in six games it's what he does he produces outside and in the slot when it comes to touchdown production so that's just all i wanted to do was wrap up with that terrace marshall but go ahead brett go ahead and tell people what you're gonna say i know i i was i was just making sure i wasn't talking on my ass with the terrace marshall being bigger than dj moore and robbie anderson he's taller than dj moore and he's thicker than robbie anderson so he's like a little combination of both uh all i need was sam donald's like a 60 percent completion rate that's literally all i need and that's asking so much because his biggest claim to fame still is that he's young and i'm sorry but you're gonna need to give me more than that if you are just young i was gonna bring up another point but i did forget it unfortunately um mostly because i was laughing to myself about our lagging issues my computer (laughs) is actively trying to end its computer life and i am just continually giving it cpr day in and day out I, I want to talk about 
wide receiver um, yards real quickly. <clears throat> I think for this one, for me, it's going to be Jamar Chase. Uh, just because I'm looking for teams that can sustain drives because that's obviously what you need for lots of yards, right? And so I think that the Bengals are going to do a better job sustaining drives than the Eagles. And I think, as we discussed earlier, the Bengals, Chase is going to be up there in terms of reception totals overall. So we don't, you, you don't need him to be a Jalen Waddle type of player where he's getting 18, 19 yards of reception, but he's getting two-thirds of the total receptions compared to everyone else. I think you're looking at a perfect little blend of players. And I, I, I do believe if there's one player to crest a thousand yards receiving, it's going to be Jamar Chase this year. If it's not Jamar Chase, the only other person I'd throw my money on is Jalen Waddle, just because if he has one, if he, if he has an amazing week one, there's no incentive for the Dolphins to bring back Will Fuller. Like they are tied to, to, to Jalen Waddle. Will Fuller is just a week one replacement. So if if <clears throat> if Jalen Waddle blows the water, blows the doors open, then like he's going to have that role for the full year, and it's going to it, it's possible that he is going to lead the league in yards for a rookie. Yeah, I I'm right on the same boat with you. I do have Kamara Chase leading it in that. Yards is one of those things where it is predicated a lot on the coverage that's getting rolled towards you more so than the just pure volume stats that we're seeing with reception pick for both of us and Devonta Smith. So I think having that T Higgins, that Tyler Boyd, that Uzoma, who apparently is looking at 50 targets plus this year, uh, allegedly uh, the Joe Mixon in the running back position. Um, I think that defenses are going to have a much harder time keying up on anyone specifically, which then lends itself to a higher yardage output and an overall more efficient offense than what we're going to be seeing from the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm right there lockstep with you when it comes to Jamar Chase leading the rookie class in receiving yards. You got one. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's do, let's do disappointment first. Let's do the biggest disappointment this year. For me, last yeah. year was Jalen Rager, obviously, and I'm not going to knock him too much because he had two very random injuries that like aren't associated with football very often. He separated his shoulder, had a AC sprain and I don't know if he got surgery or not, but he he's basically wearing the harness a full year. So it that was a struggle and it happened early in the season and he wasn't able to do a lot of OTs and already very, very segmented and fragmented rookie off season. And then he, I think it was week four. He like, tore his UCL in his thumb or grade three, you know? So like everything that could work against rookie wide receivers working against Jalen Rager, not to mention the fact that the quarterback was just struggling to look at people and throw the ball. And that entire team and offense was just an absolute dumpster fire, as we all know. Uh, that being said, I drafted him highly and he has not given me what he's, what I expect of him, although he's shown some flashes and so I'm feeling still hopeful but that's my biggest disappointment. My biggest disappointment for this year as a 2021 class. I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't <laughs> it makes me so sad. I, I think the biggest disappointment this year is probably going to be, and I'm literally looking down the list because I just don't want to select any of them. Uh, I, I think it's going to be Javante Williams this year. And I, I think it's only going to be that because everyone is getting 
over their head, their, their heads over their toes right now with when he's going to start. And this isn't an indictment on his talent. It's not an indictment on his dynasty outlook. But I think in the Scott Fishbowl, he was going fifth round, which like that means you're choosing him over T. Higgins. You're choosing him over C.D. Lamb, guys that are pass catchers that are going to be blowing people out of the waters. And like there is a very realistic world because Melvin Gordon did well last year that Melvin Gordon owns that opportunity share about 50% the entire year. And then you're looking at Javante Williams as what, a 47% rushing share and sharing the backfield receiving duties because Melvin Gordon's a fine receiver. So like his upside now is just falling into the end zone because he's younger and a bit thicker than Gordon. So Uh that's makes me really sad, but that's the person that I think is going to be their disappointment this year. Um, Just because I think Kyle Pitts is already the easy answer. I want to give something a little bit outside the grain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, I talked about this quite a bit. Actually, I did the comparison between Michael Carter and Javante Williams on a pod a few weeks ago for the people that listen from the Warzone family. Um, you know what I'm talking about. And when it comes to a Pat Shermer offense, the average output from the RB1 is the 73% total volume share of all touches and production across the position. So if Javante Williams cannot win out that actual production and position of the RB1 in the Shermer offense, he's looking at a cap of 28% total volume of the RB touches, which is not sustainable. He's not worth that middle round pick and getting selected higher than a guy like Melvin Gordon for next year. But for the sake of being fun and exciting, uh, for all these vague categories, I wrote down two people. Javante was one of mine. My disappointment for this year actually is going to be a similar uh, position, scarcity type of situation where it comes to competition. And that is a guy like Jalen Waddell. Um, Like you said, it all depends on what he does that week one without Will Fuller in the field. And I don't know that I'm comfortable betting on Tua having a lovely connection with a guy like Jalen Waddell, regardless of whether or not they played together week one in a new offensive scheme that we have no idea what it's going to look like. People are forgetting that this Miami offense is going to be completely different. There's no longer the lovely chuck it down field that we had with the last offensive coordinator last year in that one year trial run. And people are forgetting that we're getting a very crowded room. You're getting a guy like, I know it's going to sound stupid and people are like, you're still betting on him, but Albert Wilson, extremely hyped up going into last year before he ended up opting out. You're getting Will Fuller in this offense. You already have Devontae Parker, who has proven to be not world-breaking the last couple of years, but a consistent target on the outside. A guy like Preston Williams, who I was really high on coming out, was shocked he went undrafted, and then showed that he does have the flashes on the outside as a wide receiver. Plus Mike Gusecki, plus running backs that are very efficient pass catchers in this offense in Ahmed and Gaskin. So I'm just concerned about where the volume's going to go for Jalen Waddell. He's getting picked in that really tight-packed group of Devonta Smith, of Jalen Waddle, of Rashad Bateman. So I just think where you're drafting him, if you select him over those guys with a little bit more certainty in year one, you're going to be very disappointed with the first year production. Um, It's going to be very similar vein to what I saw last year from the 2020 disappointments where I grouped together Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards together as the disappointment based off of the 
massive opportunity that they had in that Oakland offense to where we saw a guy like Nelson Aguilar be a top 24 wide receiver in that offense. They were unable to beat him out for targets, target share, production, deep targets, everything. Henry Ruggs exploded week one, showed you flashes. You didn't see anything all year. Brian Edwards couldn't get on the field. So where they're being hyped, where they're being basically drafted even now, I'm still concerned that they don't have it. And I think that you're looking at the true 2022 wide receiver one for the Oakland Raiders, not even being on the team right now. I think they're still going to have to draft and put some lottery picks or potentially sign a guy like, as it's been rumored, Devontae Adams next year to reconvene with his boy, Derek Carr. So that's what I think last year's disappointment was. And I think Waddle has a very similar track record. Again, people may think I'm pigeonholing him in the same vein as Ruggs. They're not the same player. I'm not saying he's the same player as Ruggs, but the situation concerns me going into the 2021 season. It's also worth noting that week one, the Dolphins are playing the killers of the the New England (laughs) Patriots, whose defense is going to be blowing folks out of the water because everyone just assumes they're ass and they're going to be really good this year. So, they all um, opted out last year. They didn't yeah. have an entire starting defense. Yeah. So unfortunately for Jalen Waddle, he's going to have to break out not only week one, but also or not break out, but have a flash week one, but also against a defense that is basically being coached by Bill Belichick. That's a really tall ask. I can't let you disrespect Brian Edwards, although I get it. He was injured during training camp. He did miss snaps. He was struggling to get on the field, but he showed flashes here and there. He had 11 targets last season, and he averaged 17 and a half yards per target. So, like, that alone makes me very excited for him. Also, like, you're assuming that he's making that step. I think he makes that step. It would be a, it would be very interesting, not unrivaled, but very interesting given his analytical profile for him not to at least be somewhat productive. Right, it it wouldn't make sense to be chalked up to something beyond just like the numbers and things like that. He looks like he's putting in the work this year, so I'm very hopeful for him. As are my co-hosts Eric and Brad. Um, Henry Ruggs is Henry Ruggs, man. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't do told you so's because I think it's bad and dumb, and it's just a sign of like insecurity. But like, it's like a Darius Tony this year. That's how I view Henry Ruggs. Like. You have to be negligent and look and a- avoid everything that you are seeing and say, I still like this player, even though they are now on the COVID list, even though they are, or they were not doing a lot in OTAs and they were really showing up, even though they had red flags in Florida, even though they only have like 500 yards receiving, right? Like you got to keep pushing. And Kadarius Tony's still like, he's getting drafted like the second round now, which is it's a good spot to take him, but it takes a lot to take him because you just know that you're kind of burning that pickup. So moving on, uh, let's talk about our biggest breakout player. So who is your breakout player for this year, Dallas? Yeah. So for this specific season, um, based off of ADP and where he's going. I think the largest amount of production is going to be from my guy, Michael Carter. Um, A close second for me would be Nico Collins. And those ones were just predicated based off of volume. Um, The Anthony Miller trade does not do a lot for me when it comes to the Houston pass catchers. But what does do it for me is the potential that although Deshaun Watson says he still wants to be traded, he is at camp today. 
The report came out. He is at training camp right now with the quarterbacks reported. And as of right now is the starting quarterback for the Houston Texans. Um, The league basically came out with a report saying that at this time, there is nothing that they are concerned about. They're not planning on suspending him. So until something more legally pops up, we're basically looking at Deshaun Watson just being the quarterback. So if you're looking at a guy like Nico Collins, who can fill that big body role that you're looking for and is being drafted super late, he's, I was on with uh, PFF's uh, Andrew Erickson a couple weeks ago, and we were chatting about the potential volume of him versus a guy like Terrace Marshall. And you could see very similar production between those two players just based off of the roles that they're going to be filling for the overall team. So for me, it'd be one of those two guys. Um, But what about you? What's your breakout player, your a la James Robinson for this year? I'm still shaken. The NFL's not already going to suspend him. So it – Basically, there is still pending greater investigation. There was a little, I'll send you the link to it. I'll I'll, I'll post it in the group chat too for you Patreon guys. But they basically came out with a little notice saying that it's still under investigation. But at this time, there's nothing pending pending suspension, I think is how they phrased it. So right now. Isn't he on the exempt list? No, they didn't put him on the player exempt list. That's why everyone's been freaking out is because for some reason, Roger Goodell still has not put him on the player exempt list as far as i know <laughs> i'm gonna I'm go rescind this trade real quickly because i'm not here trying to I'm, I'm not here trying to flip deshaun watson for a fucking joe Mixon and two first in a 16 team league i'm gonna go withdraw that and this yeah. other one because that is yeah. interesting um so i i i had the luxury of meeting anon naduri uh in the 107 group chat for scott fishbowl and he believes that Deshaun Watson's probably not going to play till 2022 and that's going to be mid-season 2022 right so you can't be traded <clears throat> if you're on the exempt list so this is predicated on the exempt list uh and he's not looking at his next if if this goes to trial in May next year so it's looking like he's going to if he's on the exempt list he'll miss all of this year and then he'll miss probably 8 to 10 games next year in 2022 that being said if Deshaun Watson does play my breakout player also is going to be my fucking love joy, Nico Collins. That is my man. That is my dude. That is someone that I am absolutely obsessed with. The likelihood of that happening, however, I, just, I can't see the likelihood of the NFL saying today that they are going to not put him on the exempt list after like 22 separate allegations, right? Like, I don't know who goes to 22 different masseuses, but that's a little sketchy to me. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to go further than that. This is a fantasy football show. We're not going to get into personal things. Um, so it's Nico Collins if Deshaun Watson decides to somehow play this year. If he does not, it's going to be Elijah Moore for me. Uh, and this is why. I believe that Jamison Crowder is the obvious stopgap here. It's not, it's well known. Uh, Elijah Moore hype has been rolling, but I was a little nervous about Elijah Moore and his profile, mainly his size, because statistically you don't see a lot of players with that size being uber-duber successful in the NFL, specifically for fantasy for fantasy uh, teams. And then I saw like the relationship that him and DK and AJ Brown have fostered over at Ole Miss, and I am someone who I don't put a lot of stock into things and reading between the tea leaves and reading between the lines, but like when you have two absolute stars that are like visibly to the point they're crying for minutes that he's been drafted. Like I recognize brotherhood strong, but I also believe that elite talent 
seeks out EV talent and they gravitate to each other to push each other to be better. And so it would be bizarre to me to see Elijah Moore not be an elite talent and just be such a great person that DJ Moore and DK Metcalf are like training with him, being friends with him and stuff. So that among the fact that he had over 50% of Ole Miss's offense last year, beyond the fact that he's already making waves at Jess camp, I think it is going to take a very minuscule thing for them to push him into the lineup. Corey Davis still isn't fully healed. His shoulder is still banked up. Denzel Mims. I love that man. I'm always going to love that man, but like, we don't know what he is. That dude somehow would manage to sprain both of his hamstrings. Like, I don't know how, but like the ability to do that honestly deserves a 30 for 30 because that is incredible. It blows my mind. And so like, wow, the path is muddy and cloudy. I think it's a lot easier to see Elijah Moore just wrecking havoc, Doug Baldwin style on the NFL this year. And so that's something for me that I'm actually really excited about. I've been tra- trying my best to get him. It's been easier now, luckily, because, you know, here and there. It's funny we both choose Jets because I think we both recognize that that offense or that defense is – it'll be better because Salah's there. But, like, let's be yeah. honest, this this team's – I'm tempering my expectations from a fan, from a football perspective – but from a fantasy perspective, there's no reason why he why they can't be giving you solid production year in and year out. Let's yeah, really look quick- at that specifically for this season. The thing that sticks out the most is the offensive line improvements for me. Uh, Becton last year proved he is going to be a top five left tackle in this league at some point in the next two to three years. He's going to get paid like it, and he may end up being the best one out of last year's class, even with Tristan Work. The dude's a behemoth, and when you have a blindside protector like that, they have the steal of the offseason in getting Morgan Moses on a $3 million contract as a starting right tackle, when for the last five years he has not made it outside of the top five right tackle rankings for PFF or major rankings for NFL players. Um, Their offensive line is scary. That's why I'm leaning towards Michael Carter, but it's the exact same vein. The offense is going to be way more efficient this year than what we saw ever in the past with Adam Case, basically. It's it's the true Mr. Butthole bump. That's what we're going to see this entire Jets offense, the Mr. Butthole bump. Uh, That may actually be the the name of this podcast, Mr. Butthole Bump. Bump. I kind of like it. Uh, Let's quickly touch on the special teams impactor this year, and then we'll dive into our future 2022 sleeper in the overhyped player 2022. Uh, For me, it's between Cornell Powell and Anthony Schwartz. And I don't expect anyone to know in depth who those players are. Because honestly, the likelihood that they're going to give you fantasy relevancy isn't super high, but I like special teams. uh, And I think that it holds a value in the rookie scouting process um, in terms of finding rookies and finding players that are going to be successful in the NFL. For me, it's going to be Anthony Schwartz. uh, And I'm cheating a little bit here because they've already established as a beat reporter that he's got a special teams role ironed out, but he's the fastest guy on that team. He ran a fourth, two seven as a pro day so it's like a four three two if you adjust it for a a half of a tenth of a second a half tenth of a second um or hundredth of a second excuse me and so he already has that return role secured he had that role down in auburn and then you also look in the fact that there's no other prototype like him on the cleveland browns offense you have odell beckham who's we want him to do better but we don't really know what to expect 
Jarvis Landry's Jarvis Landry. He's going to do amazing. And then after that, it's really wide open with Higgins and our uh, Donovan's people, Jones and a couple other people. Kadero Hodges. So I think Anthony Schwartz is going to be the special teams leader just strictly because he is that perfect blend of size and speed. And he's been able, he was successful over in Auburn. So I, I like him over Cornell Powell, who's also going to be a special teams contributor. Mm-hmm. How about you, Dallas? Uh, so for me, uh, I agree. It is predicated based off of speed. And for me, it's based off of where players are going to be making rosters with <clears throat> wide receiver cores that don't really have a true opening. So they're going to be used on the special team return roles. Specifically, I'm looking at Jalen Darden in Tampa Bay. Um, he has been blowing up camps. Every report from Tampa Bay's camps have been basically pointing out Jalen Darden's success at a wide receiver position, but he has absolutely no hope of breaking the top four in his rookie year for that team. They're not going to let him go to the practice squad. They're not going to cut him at the end of the season based off of what we're hearing and based off the draft capital they put in for him. I think he's a fifth or sixth round, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember, but he goes into a role where he was a return specialist in college at that North Texas position. You're looking at a guy who is electric and is going to be a true slot wide receiver for the team. If they do, even as early as next year, let a guy like Chris Godwin walk without opportunity. So I'm looking at Jalen Darden. I think he immediately contributes. Um, Also sneaky guy to look at. I know we're hoping for more production in his rookie year, but Rondell Moore, I see him having a very similar rookie year as to what we saw with a guy like Tyreek Hill. I am not comparing him to Tyreek Hill people. They're not the same players. So just slow your roll. I'm just saying that a majority of Tyreek Hill's production and wow factor that allowed him to break onto the NFL scene came in the return game. Rondell Moore averaged 20 plus yards in punts and in kick returns over his collegiate career, although that has tampered down due to his availability. They tried to keep him healthy and on the field over his last two years at the wide receiver position. He saw 33 kick return attempts his freshman year that he was breaking on, on top of his otherworldly production. He was the guy that won that, uh, God, I can't remember what the award is. I don't think it's the Blitnikoff, but the most impressive collegiate player that Christian McCaffrey has won, those type of guys, the Alvin Kamara's. He won that his freshman year on the back of his receiving production and his collegiate return production. So I think he's a guy you should keep an eye out for to have those electric plays, even if he's not having them on the wide receiver position for the Arizona Cardinals. It's the Paul Hornung. Hornung. There you go, Hornung. Okay. Hornung. Hornung. I was like, it's not the Belenikov. I know that, but I can't no, remember what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'm So I'm really happy you brought up Rondale Moore um, because that's mm-hmm. going to segue exceptionally well into our next which is a 2022 sleeper uh or a 2022 person that's gonna get hyped right and it's rondale more for me man and and listen what you laid out is really really well and like everyone is concerned about his injuries right like oh well he's injured like listen he had a grade three hamstring sprain which isn't great like uh, no one loves that but like if you watch the video then like you recognize how amazing it is that he didn't blow his knee up completely I, it, he he should have had a um, what's that quarterback from UCF who just obliterated his knee? I forget what his name is, but very similar. Just all structural components out the window, broken, yeah. nothing. And he didn't. 
And that's mostly because that man is a straight up muscle hamster. He is the new muscle hamster of the NFL. Sorry, Doug Martin, but you're not here anymore. So we got to give this somebody. Rondale Moore, he's talented. I know people are worried about his size. I'm not. Uh, he's shifty. He's able to be electric. He's able to be efficient. He's going to be a great returner, which I think is a wonderful name to tap as well for the Cardinals. And also the Cardinals are going to throw a shit ton. Chase Edmonds, more likely than not, isn't it. Neither is James Conner, right? Like, they're going to do just fine. I don't view either of them as being able to, like, successfully be this running back that everyone wants them to be. And most of that is predicated on the fact that Cliff Clingsbury is just going to keep Kyler Murray back there, roll him out to his right or his left, and throw the ball down the field, right? Like, they went out and got A.J. Green. They went out and drafted Rondale Moore. They didn't draft a running back. So if we're pursing through and looking at the money, it leads to passing. They were already really high in plays per game. They're already really high in passes per game. It's only going to get higher. So I think that Rondale Moore is my 2022 sleeper for next year, only because I think that you're going to see a lot of gadget-esque work for him this year just to get him implemented, get him warmed up, get and see what he can do, and then let him kind of acclimate to the NFL – and then completely break out in 2022. Yeah, and I agree with you. Um, I think he will be extremely predicated on that passing volume. Uh, I don't think that the touchdown production is going to be there from the passing game that we're all expecting. Uh, very under-the-radar stat, just diving into the Arizona Cardinals. The beginning of last offseason, um, I'm a content producer for a couple different websites just when it comes to that rookie production, and I do team-specific deep dives. I did an Arizona Cardinals deep dive looking into the rushing game specifically after they had brought in a guy like Kenyon Drake. People don't realize Kenyon Drake was fourth in the league last year in red zone touches from the RB position. That is with Kyler Murray and his 11 rushing touchdowns. They are going to continue to slam the rock with the running backs when they get inside the 20 because they realize that that read option is something you can't stop with Kyler Murray. And I said this immediately when Rondell Moore went to Arizona. I've got a tweet. You can go check it out or repin it if you guys want to see it. Rondell Moore and Kyler Murray behind the line as a read option or triple option with any running back of any note is going to be one of the hardest plays to stop as a D end and a linebacker in the NFL over the next couple of years. You are getting two of the smallest guys in the NFL at their respective positions and two of the most elusive guys at their respective positions in the backfield where you have a split second decision to decide whether or not you want to tackle player A or player B. Look out for it. You're going to see it a couple of times this season, and then it is going to break onto the scene next year. So I think it is the perfect hype candidate going into that 2022 season when you're looking for players. For me, I'm going out of left field, and this is, again, going to be based off of positional scarcity on the team and vacated targets as to what I see in 2022. I'm going Pat Fryermuth with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Last year of Eric Ebron's contract is 2021. He is a red zone monster and is going to continue to see a lot of red zone targets from the tight end position, as opposed to Pat Firemuth, who's going to be relegated to blocking more than not in this offense that you're seeing. You're looking at Juju Smith-Schuster, almost guaranteed to leave the team next year after coming back on an extremely discounted role, hoping to up his stock for a quote-unquote breakout salary compensation next year. And then you're looking at Overall, just Chase Claypool, a guy in Deontay Johnson that a lot of people are optimistic on, 
and Pat Fryermuth as your top three receiving options outside of the running back position going into 2022. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I don't think it's going to be Big Ben. If it's a rookie, it's even better for a guy like Pat Fryermuth because everyone likes to know that age old saying tight ends are the safety blankets. For me, going into 2022, both the sleeper from the connotation of a breakout without any production, as well as the overall price you're going to be able to get him at. I think Pratt Fryermuth is primed for that transition into his sophomore year that we're not going to see from almost any other player. I agree. And with Rondell Moore, I, it's important to also note the fact that like he's also running up against Isaiah Simmons and Buda Baker and some of the safeties that are one of the quickest in the league. And so like they are going to be practicing against the best. So I'm super excited about it. Pat F is one of my favorite tight ends. And like he's the reason why I'm comfortable not grabbing Kyle Pitts because I think Pat F is a mold of Tyler or TJ Hawkinson. Like if there was no Kyle Pitts, Pat F would be treated very similarly to TJ Hawkinson. When you look at Pat F's his athletic profile, it's because he fucked up his hip last year. That's yeah. why he isn't as hyped up. It's because he basically dislocated his hip. He yep. he too hit hit he too his hip. Just yeah. not without the arterial damage. <laughs> yeah, right. Like so, like yeah. No kidding. He's gonna run almost a five second forty because the, the dude should have never ran. Quite frankly, but he did, and I'm proud of him for that. I wrote an article on Breakout Finder for him last year why he could be a first round selection. This is before he hurt himself, or after he hurt himself, and it's he is he he's he is a the quintessential tight end that is in line and also a leaker. He's like the old school tight end that you want if you like it. Old school tight end that's going to be successful on the field all the time. It is going to be Pat Fryermuth, and it's only going to help given how much they run. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have the ability to get into a rookie quarterback because they're probably going to be good, too good to get to the bottom then. But they're one of the top three teams with salary cap. So, like, hello, Aaron Rodgers, dark horse. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you imagine Aaron Rodgers with like the fraud of Chase Claypool, Juju, Deontay? Najee, Pat, like, oh my dear lord, hello, all about that life. I, it's probably not gonna happen, let's be honest, but like, yeah. I would love that almost as much as me willing him to Denver for the last year and a half now. Uh, yeah. Let's dig, let's let's finish off. We're gonna finish off strong. Let's finish off into the overhyped player of 2022. Who do you got, Dallas? Yeah, so this one. It contradicts one that you brought up earlier with a guy. I also do not like him, but when I looked at this question, I was looking at a guy who I am not going to be touching based off of where he's going to be going. And I think it is going to be a guy like Kadarius Tony. I don't think he's going to be producing very much in his rookie year, but I think he's going to see a a similar target vacation next year with the Giants. They just brought in Kenny Galladay, but Evan Ingram is in a contract year. Sterling Shepard, cuttable after this year based off of his contract. So you're looking at a guy who people are saying needs a year to learn the offense, needs to understand what's happening in order to get on the field, is already somehow COVID or sick or hurt. I don't really know, but I think he's just going to kind of have a rookie lost year. We're going to be talking about him, talking about the upside, and we're going to see kind of a similar camp explosion that we saw with Elijah Moore this year, just with a much less talented player. Um, I was quoted a long time ago saying that I do not think that Kadarius Tony is as fast as people think he is. Uh, didn't run a 40 didn't give us these flashy numbers or anything like that. A lot of times he just doesn't look like he's moving very fast. I'm not going to be touching him next year going into the season in a similar vein as to the guy that I personally think is overhyped this year in Michael Pittman. Wow. Um, 
I hope that means that you still don't like Kadarius Tony. Just I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, we were doing so great yeah. for over an hour, yeah. Dallas, and now fuck. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's incredible, man. I really do. I and honestly, it's probably the right answer. But just for the sake of like a little variety, I'm gonna go with Monroe St. Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. I like a Monroe St. Brown. I'm always gonna like a Monroe St. Brown. I hate a Monroe St. Brown in Dynasty. He is like, to me, the one player that is going to absolutely explode onto the scene. If we're talking about receptions for a rookie, I can't believe anything the sooner. Amonra is going to be up there because that man is playing against two warm bodies of Tyrell Williams and Prashad Perryman. His biggest threat is DeAndre Swift on the ground and TJ Hawkinson in the red zone. If Amonra is oh, this. Oh, you mean that bum? Yeah, that one too. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want to start with Quintus Cephas. I'm not going there. Uh, Amonra St. Brown is the quintessential slot player that the the Lions don't have. So, like, he is going if he if he's going to explode, it's going to be this year strictly on opportunity alone. And long term, I don't want anything to do with him. Why? Because he's not secure in his position. He wasn't good enough to get day two draft capital. He was drafted in the fourth round, early on in the fourth round. I recognize that, but he was at the point where enough teams were comfortable. They were wide receiver needy like the Titans, like the Lions, like the Packers, a bunch of teams in the late third that could have drafted them. And they said, no, I'm going to go defense. I'm going to go lineman. I'm going to go this and there. And they pass on him in the fourth round. Like that is important to me because it shows me that like what, for whatever reason, he doesn't have the necessary tools that teams think that they're going to invest in him. So the Lions who are doing a great job building a foundation, moving on for the future are going to have their luxury pick. 2023, 2022 wide receivers. Both classes seem to be pretty stacked up looking moving forward. So Monroe St. Brown can really quickly go from the wide receiver one on that team to wide receiver three in a matter of a year and a half with a free agent move and a rookie pick. So I think he's a player to me that is going to be overhyped because he is going to do exceptional with receptions and do really good at PPR formats and then just completely follow up a lot, a la Dante Pettis style in the following year. Um, who I like that connection. I'm proud of me for that. I'm be honest. Dante Pettis, <laughs> Monroe, Brown, I, I'm proud of that one. Yeah, that's probably my best a bad one. one. That's probably my best one. This <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, I, I, that's just kind of where I'm lying though, honestly, with the Monroe. Yeah, that, that was also uh, pretty nice. That's where you said you were lying. Uh, it was a pretty good little pun there. Um, yeah, you didn't even try to do that one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I'm not a huge Amon Ra fan. Uh, I, in every rookie draft I've been in so far, when given the opportunity, I take uh, my guy personally, Amari Rogers, over Amon Ra St. Brown um, at that late second, early third round. That's just someone I would rather take a flyer on him and Deami Brown. Um, I think that it is the prototypical volume play. Um, and I think that situation in Detroit is going to change a lot over the next year to two to where I don't think that it's going to be a long-term play dynasty wise, but I agree overhyped. That's what we're talking about. And I think those two players are two prime candidates to kind of fit that mold. Um, I did want to touch on it. Um, since we're kind of wrapping up here, I wanted to talk about what I was referring to with the Houston report. Deshaun Watson has officially gone it. Um, in he is the QB one currently in training camp, according to Tom Pelissero. No charges have been filed as of right now. Uh, sexual assault, misconduct charges, um, massage, sesh, uh, massage session counseling. Um, Tom Pellera, Pellis, I cannot talk right now. Tom Pelissero added that the league has not placed Watson on the commissioner's exempt list due to the fact that it has not concluded or is convinced that any major violation officially occurred. 
according to Tom Pelissero. So as of right now, the assumption was that if there was an exempt list naming for Watson, it was going to happen prior to training camp as why would you have him around the team? If you're going to end up making him exempt, he would still get paid, no fines to the team, anything like that. As of right now, the league has found no criminal charges imminent. Thus, they are no longer planning on putting him on the commissioner's exempt list, according to Mr. Tom Pelissero. And as of right now, he is the QB1 in Houston. It is up to Houston and Watson to decide where their future goes. That is the best way to leave a podcast as this. I have so many thoughts and feelings, but I'm just, I'm not comfortable sharing them uh, because I, yeah, I, listen, this is a fantasy football podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and I just, it, it's difficult when times are like this because you really want to come out in support of the people that are in the situation of being allegedly abused and put in situations that are harmful and precarious to them. And I, it, it, it's not our scope to theorize on these things, right? We're just here providing fantasy football content. So I just want to say that as someone who's gone through sexual assault, not allegations, but like been assaulted, like I am a person that usually 10 out of 10 will believe the accuser. Um, but it's not our job to get into that, right? It, it's just, it's not. And so it's not that we don't care. And it's not that we don't think that he is a scummy person, allegedly or not. But we are here to provide a service and our service is fantasy football. Fantasy football. Uh, yeah, thousand percent agree. Dallas, where can we find you? I, we talked to before it's at salad galore, right? It's a uh, salad galore, right? Yeah, correct. It's just my name backwards. Uh, nickname when I was growing up, uh, one kid used to call me salad. Cause he's like, did you know your name backwards almost spells salad? So just kind of stuck in like third and fourth grade. So it's kind of just, uh, you know, festered around on certain social media platforms, but it's fine. Uh, but yeah, as Britta said, guys, you can find me on Twitter at salad galore. Um, I'm talking a lot of sports in general. Uh, I don't, Honestly, I'm not on Twitter as much as I should as a fantasy provider, um, but I'm more of there to take in the space as opposed to really give my content. As always, you can find me with the DWZ network as well as the fantastic network of podcast providers out there that were joined with a guy like Britt here. Um, but I am a rookie guy. I'm putting out comments, um, concerns, and questions I have about all classes. And then during the regular season, as it heats up, I always do rookie report cards um, each quarter of the season, although I'll have to uh, switch that up, I guess, maybe every sixth of the season now with 18 games, I will be doing rookie report cards for where our class is looking, risers, how it stacks up against my preseason rankings, where I was wrong, where I was right, and as always, be comparing them to last year's class and talking about the guys that are coming in. Early plug for me, a guy I like a lot more than a lot of people out there, Kevin Harris, out of the University of South Carolina. Do not do this. Uh, This this is the thing. I'm going to lead in with the comment of saying that I think it is going to be the exact same way that I got sucked into Michael Warren out of Cincinnati. They do things they shouldn't be able to do with their size. They're not as athletic as you need them to be. But if you enjoy watching fun football, just go and watch Kevin Harris. That's what I'll say. I okay, I can't for 2022. Just go and watch him. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you can find myself at breakoutfinder.com. You can find my YouTube content and me and Brandon and Corey P 
talk Debbie on YouTube, Debbie Deepak. We actually did a film breakdown of, of uh, Kevin Harris. Brandon's got this look, all 22 film. We go in depth. You just type in Debbie Deepak. You can find all the information about Kevin Harris. Uh, you can find my dynasty and redraft writings on fffaffair.com. Thank you, Maddie Daddy. Bradley, Eric, always miss you. Always happy to have you on. Can't wait to get you back with me. Um, if you like Kevin Harris, then you should love Tyler Algier, who's actually good at football. Yes. Um, I it's 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 going to take too long to get into Kevin Harris, but there's a lot of things working his way, and the fact that he did all that with a 66% rushing opportunity um, isn't as impressive to me. That being said, it was fun watching him, and I do love fun football. He's a he is a player to me moving in 2022 that is a trap, and I think you see him significantly lose a lot of his production to incoming sophomore, recently ACL recovery, Marshawn Lloyd of South Carolina. I had to get in there. I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you guys so much listening to me. Whether you're on the Dynasty War Zone, whether you're on Breakout or Rookie on the Rise, you guys are incredible. I appreciate you. Your time is valuable, and it means a ton that you spend it with us. Have a beautiful day. And enjoy, spend some time out in the sun, and tell your loved ones you love them. That's the podcast. Peace. Later, guys. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday. If we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.